itself. So, Lord, help my words be uh, helpful, be the thoughts that you would have for us today. Help us understand more deeply and more, uh, more thoughtfully what is going on in this passage and apply it to our hearts. Thank you that you are in your covenant to us through Jesus. You are faithful to bring us your word, faithful in these moments. And so speak to us, Lord. Give us expectant hearts that you are able and willing to speak to us and help us to listen and obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 2. What a great passage. Um, What an amazing passage. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, are taken back by that unusual thing that happens there, that the Spirit falls and they begin to speak in tongues. And so uh, the Presbyterian Church today is going to endeavor to speak on the Holy Spirit. It's a big moment in church history. And to speak about speaking in tongues. So that will be also a remarkable moment. Uh, I love this passage. I love this passage. It's a, it's a great passage. So I'm just going to take some time with, it's a lengthy passage, by the way, and if you think my sermons are long, well, you ought to look at Peter's sermon, because it goes on and on. So we're going to take our time here and just look at the first part of it here, where the Spirit falls, and they speak in these languages, and we're going to try and make sense of this whole deal. Um, uh, so they've been somewhat confused about their mission. They're not, the disciples are not 100% convinced of what, what's really going to happen now. They've been praying. They've been told to wait for the, to be empowered. When Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1, right before that, they are convinced that perhaps the, the kingdom will be restored to Israel. Okay? So they are thinking in terms of Jerusalem, Kingdom here, us four and no more, small. In other words, they think they're thinking about a kingdom, but they have no idea how big this kingdom is going to be. And it's going to be quite remarkable for, for us to watch. These are Jews by birth and heritage and tradition and religion, and they are going to take some time. It's going to take time for them to understand, oh, the world Oh, not just us. So we're going to watch that in the book, book of Acts. Now, what I want you to see here is so, well, there's so many things to see, but it is a worship service. Essentially, they have been praying. They are expectant uh, upon what God's going to do next. Jesus has ascended into heaven. Ten days later, the gift of the Spirit is poured out upon the church. So it is a worship service that is now empowered supernaturally to be a witness to the gathered Jews and proselytes who have come from other areas of the known world, and they are witnessing of the mighty works of God, namely Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. They are saying these things in the languages of those nations listed there, And I want you to get the sense that they are deeply, they're getting deeply connected to the story that God is including them in. 
they are understanding as they grow and learn that what God was doing in Israel in the Old Testament, God is doing again in the new Israel he is forming. He is reconstituting, putting back together his people based upon the work and life of Jesus. And they are going to be the new Israel formed by the nations, not just the Jews, but it will be the nations. This new Israel will fulfill the purposes of Israel. So last week we explored the idea that the New Testament apostles are learning that what Jesus is doing is he's recapitulating the story of Israel. Remember the great story of, of, of the Passover and the, the lamb that was sacrificed and the blood that was put up on the doorposts and, and then the, the, the deliverance through the Red Sea and then the traveling through the wilderness and then entering into the land of Canaan. That whole story is being retold in the life of Jesus. And it's also being retold in the shaping of the church. And so the bottom line of this passage is we need to be empowered to understand our, our role in the story of Israel, the new Israel, and empowered to do what Israel was supposed to do, and that is to witness to the nations, to the world. It's a remarkable passage where people are finding their identity and finding belonging. They are, it is a, not just an, it's not an individual passage where individuals are having sort of a private experience over in this part of Jerusalem, another one's having another private experience in this part of Jerusalem. It is a community of God's people having a collective experience together and it's an experience of deep connection to the purposes of God. So, I love this passage, and the passage really is a parallel to, well, what's happening here is the day of Pentecost, which was one of the festivals or feasts of Israel prescribed by God in the Old Testament, where they were uh, thanking God for the harvest, particularly the wheat harvest. So, this festival sort of morphed together a little bit with a thankfulness to God's, the giving of God's law at Mount Sinai. And let's go back just for a moment, and let's get the connection between God's people Israel and what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. Remember, they were delivered out of Egypt. They traveled, and they rested at the base of Mount Sinai. And there, Moses goes up for approximately 10 days, and he comes back with what? The law, the two tablets. What God is doing there is he is creating the constitution of his people. And it is going to be based on his mercy out of Egypt. I am the God who delivered you out of Egypt. That's the preface to the Ten Commandments. So I am the God of mercy who delivered you. And then God is saying, you shall be like me, and he gives them the law. Right? Okay. So he forms Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai, this is Exodus 19, Mount Sinai is exploding with peals of thunder and noise. And some commentators even think there were voices being communicated. Some sort of voice was being spoken up there at the top of this mountain. Amazing. And so Exodus 19, the people have gathered. And the response to all that's happening on the mountain 
is one of fear. They have been instructed not to touch the mountain lest they die because the mountain is a place of holiness where God is now touching down upon a sinful earth. They are backing away from this mountain. In fact, they plead in Exodus 19 to Moses, make sure you speak to us. Do not have God speak directly to us lest we die. So uh, you would think that this would be a really celebratory experience. Uh, we've been delivered from Egypt. We've, you know, we're we're going to be a, a new people together here. This is going to be great, and, and God's with us, and God is with us. But most of the, 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 the laws that were established were in order to protect the people from God's holiness. So it was... Forty days that they traveled out and finally gathered around uh, Mount Sinai. And then uh, Moses comes ba- back about ten days later with the law. And they are, the, they are formed as the new people. Are you ready for a parallel? Jesus instructs his disciples after he had been slain as the Passover lamb, the true final Passover lamb. He rises from the dead and for forty days he instructs his disciples on the kingdom, the new kingdom, the kingdom that God is forming out of making a new Israel. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, and how many days later is it when the Spirit falls? It's ten days later. There's a parallel between what God does with Israel in Exodus and what God's doing here in Acts chapter 2. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So, now, uh, by the way, uh, in the experience of the uh, revealing of the law, um, God did judge uh, some who were disobedient, and 3,000 people died. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we have 3,000 people being converted. So the parallels, by the way, can go on and on. I could spend a long time just giving you all those parallels. Uh, and if you want to meet with me afterwards, we can go on and on because there are numerous parallels between the Exodus gathering around Mount Sinai and gathering here in Acts chapter 2. And what I propose to you is, and sometimes we sing this in our hymns, and sometimes we use this word, Mount Zion, right? Mount Zion, right? Uh, it's kind of gotten out of vogue right now for uh, churches. So you, Mount Zion is a little bit abstract. Not, I don't see a lot of Mount Zion community churches. I don't know, maybe they're, maybe I, but Mount Zion, it was a, a, a phrase that represented where the Temple Mount was found, and uh, sometimes you'll read in scripture of these pilgrimages or the, the, the sense of traveling to Israel, uh, traveling to Jerusalem in order to worship at the Temple Mount. So going to Mount Zion was a big deal. It really wasn't that big of a mountain, but it was the gathering place where God could be found at the temple, right? Okay. The book of Hebrews picks up on this theme and tells us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it tells us that we have gathered around a mountain, we've gathered around a mountain, but it's not Mount Sinai. It's not a mountain of judgment. Lest, and it's, a, it's a mountain that we've gathered around is called Mount Zion, the holy city of Jerusalem. We've gathered around the place of access to God through his son. We have now connection with God at the true Mount Zion, which is really, honestly, it's the body of Jesus that we are are 
we're accessing God through the very body of Jesus, and he forms us now, uh, his new covenant community of God's people, and we are called to gather at Mount Zion. Does that make, does it make sense a little bit? So what's going on here is that the, the connection between the Exodus story and the story of the creation of, of the new Israel, there's wonderful, wonderful parallels. Now let me just walk through this passage. We'll get a, get a sense of what, what's going on here, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up with a, some, some application ideas for us. So, chapter 2, verse 1, they were together in one place. Now, we're, we're not 100% sure where this is, but some, some commentators believe this was somewhere in the precinct of the temple where a lot of action would be going on, a lot of gathering would be going on by pilgrims who have come around from the New World to celebrate Pentecost. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. This, again, is a, what could be described as a theophany, a representation of God. And it, is, it, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, Mount Sinai, there was fire, peals of thunder. Now we have fire resting upon the, the heads of these individuals. And this is probably the 120 mentioned in Acts chapter 1. Uh, this is probably not just the apostles. It's probably a larger group. So these, these, these flames of fire are resting upon the individuals. And then verse 4, and they began... And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now we have the reason for this strategic falling of the Spirit, and that is it relates to the mission that God is under, God is uh, c- going to conduct. Remember, it's not us thinking of mission to do. It is us joining God's mission. God is, has a heart for the Parthenians. God has a heart for the Romans. God has a heart for the Cappadocians. And he is now going to fill his uh, apostles and other believers with the Spirit, and they are going to speak the mighty works of God in these languages. And so we have a listing of the, of the nations, um, at, at least a summary here of them. There have certainly been others. Uh, other, these, are, these are regions around um, Israel. We go as far as... Um, Wow, we go we down to we go down to Egypt. We go up uh, over to Rome. You can see all these different regions, uh, and they ask these people in verse uh, seven. They they are somewhat bewildered and they can't understand this because how can you speak in someone their own language? Uh, and they were amazed and astonished. Verse seven: Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, these people haven't traveled to our area. These people have their own. Uh, speech, their own dialect, their own way of, of, of communicating. They're, they're, this doesn't make any sense. They are not uh, international travelers. And verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And so then we see the listing, uh, kind of a table of nations here. And you can see the, the sort of the regions here are represented. Um, some, the first region here is really what we'd call modern-day Iran. Uh, then it moves over to uh, Asia, which we would call um, Asia Minor. In those days, it was just referred to as Asia. That's modern-day Turkey, okay? And I'm looking at uh, Cappadocia uh, Pontus there. 
uh, and then it moves over to areas of Egypt and Libya, and then we move over even into Rome. And then the different kinds of people, their ethnicities, their backgrounds, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. And they are, again, quite remark remarkably taken back that they are hearing in their own language the mighty works of God. Uh, several years ago, our family, we traveled to Rome, and uh, we were out front of the uh, Sistine Chapel. And by the way, when you visit Western Europe uh, and you go to some of the classic places or you want to see the Sistine Chapel, uh, get, get ready for lines. Uh, get ready for a line. And uh, it's, you want to get there very early, like 4 in the morning if you want to avoid a line. So um, we're in line, and um, there were some men there who were selling uh, leather purses and other leather goods. And so uh, I wandered over to them and started talking to them, and they struck me as men that I thought I'd recognized where they were from. And I thought they were, uh, well, they were somewhere from India, East India. Uh, maybe they were Bengali, because I just thought they might be. So I'm there talking to them, and I say, where are you from? And they say, well, we're, we're Bengali. And I said to them, I said, I used to live in Bangladesh. Uh, actually, it was called East Pakistan at that time. And this man looks at me with this great skepticism, like, what is this Norwegian, French, German guy, this can't be real. I mean, just complete, like, no, not possible. And I, and I, and I could see it. I could feel it. He doesn't believe, he doesn't, I just said something very true. And he's doubting me. It's hard on me. And uh, I said, so how can I prove? How can I prove to this guy? So I said, well, we used to live in this suburb called Gulshan. And it, that, that was like a thunderbolt. He couldn't believe it. I said, Gulshan. It's like this magic word. And that's just a suburb. It's an area in northern Dhaka. And then that got him going. And then I said, well, all I remember is ek dui teen char pan shoi shot art noi dosh. And now I just spoke to, uh, to 10. That's, that's counting to 10. And then if on, for a uh, taxi driver, I threw out this one just for fun. I said, you know what jolty jolty means, right? And that means faster, faster for a taxi driver. And he was just like, he was like, you know, blown away. I'm speaking in tongues and... And uh, that's all I knew. I don't know any verbs. I don't know. I just, I just, just, you know, don't ask me anything more. I just, and so then I just, I have this quorum of guys all around me asking me questions, asking me all sorts of things, because if you can speak someone else's language, you, even, I mean, I guess the French don't like, like us, right, uh, trying to speak their French, unless it's absolutely perfect, right? But, well, forget the French, but... Uh, <laughs> If don't you appreciate it, even a foreigner trying to speak English, right? Don't you appreciate it? It, it is. It's a wonderful thing, right? Well, for us, for us, there is a parallel for us. Um, we would believe that this is a unique uh, event in 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 history. Um, it is repeated a couple of times in the book of Acts, and we will look at that as to why that is so and whether or not we should expect a modern-day Pentecost for our, uh, for our time. We'll talk about that. But um, it's important that we think about speaking someone else's language. I think that's a legitimate application for us. And that means uh, for, you can even think about someone who's an English speaker who culturally is somewhat different than you. You think of different regions in the United States, different cultures within the United States, 
And I would encourage us to begin to think, what does it look like for me to not just speak my own cultural way of talking about my life where I grew up in the United States, but if you are interacting with people, it's very important for you to think about their world and their concerns. And I shared with this some time ago, a couple years ago, I don't have any tattoos, I don't have anything pierced on my body, um, and I have to say I don't really understand a lot of that, all right? And I recognize that uh, this is a fashion, this is what people are doing, and I didn't understand it, right? I didn't really understand it. And I, there was part of me was, part of me was like, I kind of looked down on some people like this, have to admit that. So I, I watched about six episodes of L.A. Inc. <laughs> it's really true. And I kept wondering, what is going on? Why do people get tattoos? And I began to hear the stories of people, like why a person has three owls on their shoulder or something like that. And the idea is that these are three people that died and represent them, and they want to keep them with them. And I began to grow in a a heart of compassion for people who have tattoos. How about that, right? Well, that isn't, though some earth-shaking step of empathy. It's just a sort of a thoughtful way of living and thinking about someone else's cultural expressions, interests, and pursuits. And so I'd encourage you to think about how is it that you can begin to speak someone else's language. We have a remarkable uh, insight here to how God is reversing the effects of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. You realize that man at one point was speaking, at least in in that known world there, was speaking one language, and man was using that language to cooperate together and to, to defy God and to essentially claim that man and man alone is the measure of all things. And so God judged man and made it more difficult for us to do evil. How about that? So he gave us multiple languages, and languages languages and translations and all that difficulty does slow us down, even with all our fancy tech gadgets and, and apps and all that sort of thing. So what you have here is the nations are hearing the gospel. That's the language. The gospel in their own language. So we have an international language that can be spoken by all believers, and that is the gospel, see? And uh, it's a beautiful thing that God is doing, and he is reversing the effects of the Tower of Babel and that particular curse in that he's giving us a way to connect with all people through the work of Jesus, his son. So, Let's think about that, reflect on that a bit, that you would be growing and caring enough to connect with other people and to, in a sense, speak their language in order for them to hear the gospel. We have been given power on high, Acts chapter 1, 8. They will be given power on high to do mission. That is also true for us. We have been given the Holy Spirit, who is the seal of the covenant with us, with God and us. The Holy Spirit is, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. You are vitally connected to Jesus. You are in union with Jesus. Everything that happened to Jesus applies to you. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. Every promise that applies to him applies to you. 
You are vitally connected, and the one who connects you is the Holy Spirit. God is desiring for us to function as a royal priesthood, to use that language. We are part of this Exodus story. It's an Exodus story for all the nations, not just Israel. All of us are being called out of the land of sin, out of the land of slavery, and to be delivered by the lamb that was slain for us. We are a holy nation. We are a newly constituted people of God. And our constitution, our constitution, what what makes us the people of God are the words of Jesus, the new covenant, his body and his blood. God is interested in our worship. He is concerned for our worship. And here's one final thought, and then I'll, um, I'll wrap it up. What happens in Christian worship, as Acts chapter 2 demonstrates, is that questions are asked by those who do not believe. Every time we gather, we should be thinking and believing that there are probably those who do not yet believe in our midst. We are on, in a sense, the glory of God is being manifested. You may think our worship is weak. You may think your voice is not strong or not well or not good. You may not think our, our prayers are feeble. I don't know. But our worship is on display. And Acts, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 14, we are told that when an unbeliever enters the room, it is possible, and this is, the, this is the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, that he is, 1 Corinthians 14, 24, that he is convicted by all. This means watching others, people on, uh, showing their worship of God. He is convicted, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. You see, And as the Parthenians and as the Cappadocians are listening to the proclamation of Jesus as king, the mighty acts of God, they're hearing these things, here's what's going on. The, the secret of the heart is being exposed. I've been hiding from this God. I've been pretending he's not king. I've been living in darkness. All these things are moving along in the mind of the unbeliever as they watch Christians worship. So your worship is a testimony. Your worship is a witness all the time. Uh, God will do above and beyond what we ever ask or think using our worship. And then going on in 1 Corinthians 14, and so falling on his face. This, is, this could happen in a worship service. So falling on his face, he declares, God is really among you. That, I would say, is a, is a beautiful recurrence of Pentecost for our day. That the Spirit of God is manifesting himself such a way. And it, it's just authentic. It's just genuine. It's just, here I am, Lord, I need you. Here I am, Lord, I need you. Here I am, Lord, I need you. And the unbelievers picking up the sincerity, the honesty, the truthfulness of it. And God manifests his presence in God, with God's people. That's what it's like for us. You could be by a, a tree down at the beach today reading your Bible and you'd have a great experience and I encourage you to do it. But there's something remarkable when God's people get together. It's just different. I can't explain it. God is manifested in a, in, in a greater way when, people, when God's people are together. But I encourage you. We do not understand these things until we are taught them, guided by the Spirit to understand them. And this is quite remarkable, and then I'm done. 
the spirit has to fall in order for them to speak and care about the Parthenians. Because they didn't wake up that morning going, oh, I hope I can talk in Parthenian today. No one said that. Oh, I just hope I can speak that Cappadocian slang. No one said that. And do you ever think that? Do you ever think, oh, I wish I could talk to someone from Guatemala today? Or I could speak in Spanish today? Do you ever think that way? The answer is, we're so comfortable, us four, no more. The whole world has to speak English. And we're offended when we go to Bangkok and they're speaking Thai of all things. What on earth? You know what I'm saying? English-speaking Christianity is a tiny part of the church. We're a twig. We've got to become where we, where we are, where we are in the world, where we are in the Pacific Rim. We've got to wake up. And here's the deal. We won't wake up until the Spirit wakes us up. We won't wake up until God uses his word to explain to us the purpose. And we're going to discover that as, as powerful a moment as this is. Now, just think about this, and I'm done. <laughs> this is this, uh, this me. I spoke in Parthenian today, or whatever. Whatever that language was. And I go home, and I still have to have someone convince me that, that the Parthenian should be reached. That's that happens in the book of Acts. Do you know there's going to be skeptical Jewish Christians who are going to go, now who's Cornelius? And what's the deal? You think it's real? I mean, do you think that, like he's a Christian? Do you think God wants to save Cornelius? The narrow-mindedness is not just in Judaism. The narrow-mindedness is in converted Christians who are in Jerusalem. And if that's true of them, who experience this? Think about what we need to, how we need to grow and, and say, Spirit of God, fall on me that I might be concerned about the things of God. Imagine at that moment, think about this, because here I am, I'm preaching to you. Well, why didn't I learn Bengali? Seriously. Why didn't I learn? Why, why didn't I take the time to at least learn Spanish better than I? Imagine in that moment I could have spoken Bengali and given them the mighty works of God in their own language. That's what I'm saying. We are called, many, many intelligent, bright people here. It's not too late to become a sharp tool in God's toolbox to think about the purposes of your life, the purposes of our church. May God richly bless his word. Let's pray. We are the newly constituted people of God, Lord. I thank you for this. Thank you that we are part of this new Israel you're forming. Uh, shape in us, Lord, a passion for people who we, uh, we, will, we do not know, but perhaps we will meet. Help us to speak their language. Help us to care. Move us out. Move us out, Lord and give us power.